So our, our text this morning will, will be John um, 52 to, to 59, and then the final section will be 60 to 71. Um, but if we look back in John 6, 22, it starts the text. And the way I said it is, is as we're wrapping our mind around John 6 and we're breaking it into six parts, we're essentially looking at this first miracle of feeding of the 5,000 and the second miracle of walking in water is parts one and two, leaving us with four parts. And then in the next three parts, we see um, three kind of stages or gears, a low, medium, and high maybe of uh, transitioning in, in a dialogue. Um, we see that, um, you know, un unfold. And it kind of the bookends of it is it starts in Capernaum. And it ends in Capernaum. If you look at, at the last verse of our um, text today, um, it says, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And then let me see if I can find the verse. I had wrote it somewhere, but if, let's see, it should be right here. Um, I think it's 24. So if you look at verse 6, 624, it says other boats, boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread and after the Lord had given thanks. So in verse 24, it says, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor the disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And then while we're right here, I'll, um, I'll read the, the verse again that we talked about last week um, was when and I'm prepping your heart for the end of uh, chapter seven. I'll still hold this um, to, to, to then. But um, in, in, in Matthew 4, 12, it says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. And just as a, as a, as a teaser, it's going to say by the sea in the territory of Zebulun. Uh, I'm trying to say that the best way I can from from Louisiana and and Denham <laughs> Springs and 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 Natalia is what I'll say. But both of those were children uh, and and developed the twelve tribes of Ezra, of um of Israel. And you can go back and look at those maps and get a feel for that. But both of those were areas in what we would call Galilee. So. Um, we'll come back to that and look at that fulfillment of that prophecy um, and, and, and really home in that at the end of chapter seven. Um, but so, um, all right, back to my deal. So the, so the three things, you know, we said in 22 was, um, was is they're seeking him. And so I'll just read these sections that I sent out to you. Um, the first section starts with, the, um, the crowd, them um, seeking him, and they are frantic and intensely focused on him. He shocks them with instead of giving them practical teaching or instructions or doing signs and wonders, and he points out how their motives are wrong. He says, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to an eternal life. And so um, when we read this in our day and age, and we've been in church forever, and, and we've thought about these things, like we need to see the shockingness of this text. Um, just as with um, 
with with Nicodemus and the the, the new birth and with um, the Samaritan woman with the water, um, he's shocking them and saying there is more to all this than just you know food and drink or, or bread and water. And um and so he he introduces do not work for food that perishes, which is everyday food that we're eating every day. Um, you know, as we read in, in Exodus 16, it talks about how this this glorious food was there, but it still perished, that that it would rot and except for on Sunday if they did it the right way. And um, so but food that perishes, but but he's 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 pointing them to sort of a new thing, or he's shining light to something that he says, work for food that endures to eternal life. And that word internal life, I think I'm probably talked about that a little bit last time, but but it's not just life, eternal life. And what does eternal life mean to you? And I would just say at the simplest deal, it's better than just life. It's so so what he's doing is expanding them. Um Jeff talks about in Hebrews that um the you know the greater so he's everything that's that's actually fulfilled in the new covenant is getting greater it's getting better um you know the fulfillment is better than the promise and so he's introducing that a a fulfillment is coming and it's going to be better than anything you 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 thought so get your heart ready like like i know my wife she loves to plan vacations ahead of time because for her she wants to get excited she's she doesn't like a spontaneous you know vacation like me if you call me friday evening say hey i got tickets to such and such or free plane ride to that that's my idea of vacation i i like that spontaneous but she wants to build it up and so what we would say is this is probably after two years of jesus's ministry so this this event is probably starting the last year of his ministry and 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 he works from galilee into into jerusalem and so he's building up that expectation um that that something awesome is 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 coming into into um fruition or however you said it in, into reality um so the second thing that he starts with in in verse 642 is so the jews grumbled and then then the jews disputed so you feel this uh this tension kind of building as we go through these three parts and it says um the reason they were grumbling is because he said that the bread that came down from heaven, that, that he was the bread that came down from heaven. And, um, and you know, we had the opportunity to go back and kind of revisit that Exodus 16 story about the manna. But their first response was this idea of don't we know his parents? And again, we're going to address that, you know, you know, before it's all said and done. Did they really know his parents and all that kind of stuff? Um, but 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 that was a legitimate, um, you know, struggle um, to logically understand it. So we see le legitimate struggles with um, Nicodemus. How can a man be born again? We see legitimate str struggles with the Samaritan woman. You don't have a cup. How are you going to get this water? And we see legitimate struggles with the disciples that say, who brought him food? 
You know, what food is he talking about? You know, um, so so again and again, he's pulling them out of earthly language and, and trying to thrust them into heavenly language. And and if you are not flexible enough to do that and say, hey, he is awesome. He knows something. He's telling us something big and you're not able to thrust up into heavenly language, then you're going to just struggle basically because you know, how do you go back in a mother's womb? How do you get water without some kind of container? How do you, how does food just come from nowhere? You know, you're going to struggle with the, rea- what, what God is doing there. And then, so the last part here, um, I think I wrote some goals is on um, this third part. Um, what, what the big issue is, is how can this man give them flesh to eat? Um, and so we'll, we'll just kind of, start to un- unpack that um let's see that's over in terms of playing observing most jesus music. and then i guess what I'll, i think we'll we'll come back to that it's after we read the text but i think what's important about today's unpacking is to try to you know if some of you went back and looked at um exodus 12 it's kind of see what are the similarities to the terminology that Jesus is using here in six, and then what was was given to them um, in Exodus 12, um, because that is somewhat some of the things that are bridging the gap. The um, when we when we read this, sometimes we're not as familiar with the terminology that was given to them in celebrating the Passover year after year, and so we don't see sometimes the clarity. Of, of what he's what he's doing here so so we'll look at that but let's go ahead and read the text this morning in um what was we at 652 um it says it starts off with that phrase the then the 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 jews then disputed among themselves saying how can this man or i'm gonna let's let's start this over again let's read um verse ahead In 51, he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Like that is a bold claim. It'd still be a bold claim today if someone told you. He will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And so at this point, this is where they're like, wait a second. And it says in our text today, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? I think that should just start a question for us today. How, how can he give his flesh to eat? What does that mean? So, so we can put ourselves in the shoes of Nicodemus. We can put ourselves in the shoes of the Samaritan woman. We can put ourselves in the shoes of the subs and we can put ourselves in the shoes of this crowd that Jesus is asking questions that if we approach them in a logical way, what am I supposed to do with that? You know? Um, And so in verse 53, he says, so Jesus uh, said to them, and here's another truly, truly statement. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's extreme. You have no life in you if you don't do this. Um, 54, who feeds on my flesh 
and drinks my blood has eternal life. And then that phrase we've chatted with a little bit, and I think I might have some clarity on it, but it's used like four or five times in six here. But he says, I will raise him up on the last day. So two things, you drinking of the flesh and blood, you'll have eternal life. And then he'll, he'll raise that person that does that up on the last day. 55, for the flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. You know, he's adding that. I guess that would be a, an adjective, um, not an adverb. I think uh, with my excellent English, I have. But he's, but he's, he's, he's pressing that 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 this ain't ordinary drink. It's and it ain't ordinary food. It's 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 true food and true drink. And in fifty six, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. And Paul likes likes that word abide, but. Um, it's be it's it, it should bring those ideas of being one of being um, intimate being very close we are we think alike we're you know abiding it's it's a very closeness but he's saying if you're if you're uh, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood uh, blood abides in me and and I in him you know I've been working on you know, like you'll get excited and you'll start talking and talking and then maybe you'll walk away from that conversation and you did most of the talking and you'll say, did they, were they even interested in, um, in what I was talking about? And that's the importance of realizing, you know, they'll use the term monologue or dialogue. Um, you know, are your monologues something that people really care about? And the only way to really find that is to have some measure of dialogue. You have to listen, you have to get some feedback and um, so here, when he's talking about abiding, he's like, if you're doing this, you're going to abide in me. But the good news is the last little phrase, and I in you. And um, and so in such a powerful way, this glorious thing of salvation that we have, where God puts his spirit in us, um, this should be a real thing that really kind of springs up in us, you know, like, like next chapter is going to talk a well, when the Holy Spirit comes in you. This is a glorious thing. This is a greater fulfillment of what God has done in the past. Um, 57, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. So now we're talking about a source of life, that, 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 that Christ's life is derived from the Father. And then as we derive, as we abide in Christ, the, the life that's in him is imparted, you know, in us. And um, in 58, so after those points, he's walked through about five things. We're going we're gonna to touch base and outline them. But after that, in 58 and 59, in 58, he comes back to, the, to the, this bread thing that he started off with. He says, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the, the bread the fathers ate and died. Now that's a the key phrase that's just kind of in this creative way of talking is bringing it logically back to back to home. Is saying that one bread you eat and it perishes, and and it and you also die with that. But this other bread leads to eternal life. It it endures, and and that's what I'm offering you today. Moses offered you this bread. But I'm offering you this a, a greater bread, and um, so he he comes back to that, 
Um, and and then 59, I think I read all of 58, but it, it, we, we had read that Jesus said all these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So any open thoughts on that? Um, we've kind of flowed through that, the three or four sections that we're finishing up here. And then, um, and then we can kind of just unpack some ideas here in the text. But overall, any, any, any initial thoughts with that paragraph? Yeah, why believe in Christ if you don't believe in, in, in your everlasting life? That's what he was saying. Why is, is believing in Christ the only thing? The only thing you believe in Christ for is because you can make you happy down here, answer your prayers down here, yeah. take away the trials down here. That's, that's no reason to believe in Christ. The reason to believe in Christ is to know that you're going to heaven and live with him forever. Yeah. It's the same thing every generation goes through. They, they, they look around, they see life is about being a seed, growing up, maturing, and dying. That's all we see in life. If we don't see the future, our future in Jesus, why well, believe it? Yeah. But I was thinking about in Sunday school last week, they were they were addressing, they had started in John 1, and they were focusing on the in the beginning and the the parallel of that's how Genesis started in the beginning and how that phrase would have had weight um, to the, the audience of John. And um, I got thinking about that with this eternal life deal is that we believe people live forever, you know, whether it's in hell or whether it's in heaven. And like what you're saying, we get fixated on this life and forget about the future. But my, my thing, what was interesting is there's no real, um, we have in the beginning and that has a weightiness, but there's no like, and then it was all over and the end. We, we, it, we really don't have that. We have, you know, heaven and earth will pass away and there's a new heaven and new earth. And we see gloriousness for those that are in Christ, but we don't have an end. You know, and, and, and God has never had a beginning or an end. We do have a beginning. We are finite. We have a beginning, but there's no end. Whether, whether we accept God or don't accept God, you know, some, some churches, I mean, some faiths do believe in annihilation, that, um, that, that the people that are the bad people will eventually just be annihilated. Um, but that's not the way the, the, the most, you know, the Protestant Christian believe, and that's not the way I believe. Um, but I thought that was interesting. Anybody else on any of that? I'm going to, I'm going to say something. I don't know if I'm going <laughs> to articulate it correctly, but, um, you know, it says whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks in my blood abides in me. You were talking about abiding in closeness and, um, you could say that in a general sense, but I feel like, um, it's a daily feeding. And if you're not daily feeding, is Christ abiding in you closely throughout those days? I feel like that's true because whenever I'm, you know, when I go through a period, I'm not in the word, I'm not in prayer. Mm. I don't feel a closeness. Now, is that a, is that feeling just incorrect? And I, I don't think it is, but I, I feel like this is a daily. And I know, you know, in, in Luke, he talks about picking up your cross daily. Um, but I would have to believe that this is the same thing. Yeah. Would you agree? I don't think I disagree with that. I think the, the, the carefulness would be is when you look at like justification and sanctification, um, you, you have to navigate through the fact that 
that if you've ever abided in him and the Holy Spirit's come into you, you know, that's a, that's a confirmation of justification. So you can um, not spend time with him and feel like he don't love you or he's not close to you, but you are still his, his child. Um, you know, becoming a child and, and not becoming a child is, you know, is, is, is pretty solid. You know, you are, or you're, um, and so I think, I think it's important in the sanctification to be conforming into the image of Christ that you are abiding and, and doing those things daily, picking up your cross daily, being in your word, all of that's going to affect um, your connection and your closeness, just like it would with your own, you know, with your own earthly family. Um, so no, I don't, I don't disagree with, with that. Anybody else have a thought on, on what he said? All right. Well, um, let's let's just look. Um, so with with abide, three things that I pulled out that I thought were important that this text addressed was eternal life, abide, and the and the fathers ate and they died, which is almost like the fathers ate and they died, is sort of addressing the eternal life too. Um, but um as far as the terminology that I mentioned, I'll just say that real briefly. In Exodus 12, 8, we see the instructions of the first Passover. They took the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost. And the phrase, eat the flesh, is used to describe the eating of the lamb. So when Jesus says, unless you eat of my flesh, he is pointing them to the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. And this act that was foreshadowed in the eating of the flesh of the lamb would have been done to partake in the blessings that comes from the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So I think I, I you know, I, I thought that was pretty awesome to sit there. You know, imagine if you're in that audience and, and you get that connection and you say, wow, because logically for us, eating of his flesh means cannibalism. But if they put it together with what the reason he's saying eating of the flesh, because that was the terminology of what to do with the Passover lamb and the hope of the Passover lamb from Passover to Passover to Passover up to Christ was that it's back to the, um, it's back to the Genesis 22 verse um, where, where Isaac or where Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac. And he, and, and, and all in that there's the, the Isaac is saying, Abraham, where are uh, saying to his dad, dad's where's the sacrifice. We got everything but the sacrifice. And what did, what did Abraham tell him? He said, the Lord will provide. So in that great redemptive event of the Old Testament, at the Exodus event, God said, before I do what I'm fixing to do, I want you to partake in a Passover lamb. I want you to take the blood and separate yourself apart from all the people in the land by putting the blood on the doorpost. And I want you to eat fully. You know, there's some instructions that don't leave none of it left, that if there's some left and you got too much, burn it, which is back to the manna. He was teaching them, get what you, don't get too much, don't get too little. You know, and they they addressed that in the Exodus 16. But, but this eating of the flesh was something they did to prepare themselves for that. So when he's bringing that terminology, if they understand, understood why they were eating the flesh of the lamb 
for the sake of the Passover of their sins, if they could have connected that, if it would have been a trigger. And, and one of the problems that these audiences deals with, like we saw at the end of chapter five, when he's given the witnesses, we had seven witnesses, and one of them was about the scriptures. And it says, you seek the scriptures because you think in them are eternal life, but they point to me. You know, I mean, that's profound. I mean, how many people still do that today, that they read the scriptures wanting to be right with God? When we started this first part, they were seeking in some sense, wanting to be right with God. And he says, your motives are wrong. So there's so much adjusting and, and recalibrating that that um, Christ is doing. Um, this is what the text said, but you've made, made it to mean this. Let's go back and look at what the text said, um, and let's see what the real meaning was. And so I think this is one of them, and it's kind of it's kind of unique um, that this eat of the flesh. When you go back in Exodus 12, it it sort of means something a little bit different than just taking it at face value that you take your teeth and start chewing on someone's skin and, and doing cannibalism, you know? Um, but as we walk through this uh, with eternal life, <laughs> abide in the, in the five feet nine. I'll read this one thing real quick and we'll, we'll break it down verse by verse. It says, so the word eternal life gives the idea that there's more to life. We know that is available. One of the challenges the hearers of Jesus struggled with was this great meaning of life. They again and again tried to process his words as words. As believers, we believe we will live forever. But many people in our world think once they die, that is it. A person that doesn't understand that there is more to this life than what they know and has not had Jesus open their eyes to that doesn't consider eternal life as a reality. That is that is what Jesus is doing here for those who have an ear to hear. And I put about five verses on the website, uh, Matthew 11, 15. Mark 429, some of those were, um, they were all related to parables, but it was where Jesus would say a parable and there was some mystery left to it. And he would say, if you have an ear to hear, you know, hear what the spirit is saying. And it just gave that little mystery and that, that nudge to, to look a little bit deeper beneath the surface. And that's just such an important skill as we're trying to abide in Christ and have that intimacy with Christ and know the truth that sets us free. Um, we need to realize sometimes we just can't skim over the text. We've got to chew on it, ask, you know, pray and ask God to give us wisdom and help us to understand it. Um, so, um, and I, and, and I did something fun. Hopefully it's not taking the Bible out of text or make anyone mad. Um, like last week, I think I, I reordered the verses a little bit to try to make it some, make some sense, but we've talked a little about, about triggers and I want to go off of a modern day trigger. So Jesus was talking to an audience that if they had really understood what Passover was all about, that trigger should have helped them understand that they were hearing Jesus teach about a greater fulfillment of Passover lamb um, and those kind of things. But what I wanted to do is, is take a what's kind of more of a modern um, trigger and kind of rework these um, these verses that we've just read and see if we can sort it or we can um, anchor it in, in our in our system and take away these these points in a little bit more logical 
organized um, fashion because the way they're laid out is is a little bit creative. And um, you may, um, if you're if you're if you're reading at a slow or a medium pace or whatever, you may miss a few things. So I, I just want to kind of sort out about five things so that we can take away something real simple. Um, so the trigger I decided to use, I put. So we have a trigger that brings thoughts to our mind when we hear the phrase "flesh and blood." And I, I don't know if I did a great job here, but I put a few ideas here. We think, we think when we think flesh and blood, what do we think? We think family and close ties. We for, and then I put, we're more likely to forgive people more because they are our flesh and blood. Um, we go farther to help people um, that are our flesh and blood. So I just remember as a kid, you know, I was taught that. I, I, I imagine you guys were to some degree or another is that, you know, I remember I told my aunt one time, she said, I said, I only love you because I have to, you know, because she was so mean, you know, but we, I even talked to my wife. We talk about a concept that um, we have some friends that have got divorced and they're, they're trying to reenter the dating life and try to find a, a, a second spouse or whatever. And they're talking about the dating life is, is terrible. And as we've, we've looked at dating life, um, there's some real challenges with that. And, um, and we, you know, and so most married people who are like, man, I'm glad I'm not dating anymore, you know, but what we've talked about is that there's insurance in marriage, um, that God builds that in, that it allows you to make mistakes. And there's, there's a forgiveness that you wouldn't have in a dating relationship. Um, you know, you'd have done, went through some of the mistakes you're currently making in your marriage. If you were still dating, you'd go through 10 you'd lose 10 dating relationships by the mistakes you're making. And so this idea of, of, you know, we are flesh and blood. That's my brother. That's my, my, my sister. That's my mom, you know? And, and so you might be mad at mom, but mom has a rat in her house. You're over there getting the rat out or, or water's leaking in the house. You're over there and you don't even think about it. And so I wanted to bring that, that thought um, up as we unpack this and I'm going to watch your verses, I'll tell you which verse we're at. And, and, and just, I'm going to just rephrase it a little bit and, and see um, I'm in John six fifty three, And if you look at John six six fifty three, I'll, I'll do the first one. It says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I said to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And so I, re I rephrased it to say this, unless you eat and drink my flesh and blood, you have no life in you. And then to kind of give you the flow of it, the next one is who at 54, whoever feeds and drinks on my flesh and blood has eternal life. And, and then the third one would be in verse 57, he who exalts the value of our, our, Jesus exalts the value of his flesh and blood, calling it true food and true drink. So in the in the way the text is um is broken up, it's sort of scattered in a little bit. It probably makes all the sense in the world for Eastern minded people because they're a little bit more creative. But as we're trying to digest this meal and unpack what he's saying, I feel like it, it it's a little bit easier to read with with connecting it to flesh and blood because that's what he's talking about 
when he's saying, um, if you don't do this, you're not a part of me. You know, like a, a great phrase there. And what I'm saying is you remember when he was washing the disciples feet and he came to Peter and Peter said, are you going to wash my feet? And he's kind of like, you're, you're too awesome. You're too great for, for you to do that. You don't need to do that for me. And he, and Jesus looks at him and says, if I don't do this for you, you have no part of me. And Peter's like changing his tune. He's like, give me a bath from head to toe, you know, and, and Jesus talks to that. And so if we look at these three parts, it's separating two groups of people, the lost and the saved. So in that first one, it says, if, it, if, if we go with the phrase I came up, unless you eat and drink my flesh and blood, you have no life in you, which is really essentially saying death. You know, you're a dead man walking is what it's saying. And so that's the people that don't eat, that don't abide. And then he, in verse 57, whoever feeds and drinks my flesh and blood has eternal life. So this is what what we want. And it's all about if we're eating of his flesh and blood, if we're abiding in him. And, it, <laughs> and then he, he brings those two things together and exalts the importance of what he's saying by saying he that exalts the, are, are the fle my flesh and blood is true food and true drink. So those three kind of work together. And as we pull out the fourth and fifth point in, in verse 56, he uses the word abide, which speaks to the unity that is accomplished by partaking in the flesh and blood. And I wanted to give you these verses, John 14, 5, and then 14, 7, and 14, 22. And so as you're looking through John 14, as he's discussing um, in this private environment with his, his 12 disciples, there, there's going to be three disciples that ask questions. And so I wanted to I wanted to highlight that that's there in 14, and that's 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 a good study. To take the time, because essentially what's being said there is these are the three questions that are being asked by his disciples at at the final hours of his, his of their time with him. And 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 so that's just worth knowing that's there and study that because it connects with a lot of the other conversations he has. I mean, he's having conversations with the people in Galilee. He's having conversations with the crowd. He's having conversations with the, you know, with the religious leaders. And these themes keep coming back over and over and over again. And so when he's about to leave the earth and he's making his final statements with the disciples, they've got a few questions. But the one I want to highlight is the second one that starts in 14.7, and it's by Philip. One was by Thomas, one was by Philip, and one was by the, we'll call him the good Judas. Judas, uh, Judas, I think the Iscariot, or maybe that's the bad Judas, but it, it says it there in 1422 who, who he is, but he's the other Judas. And, um, but he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And, and we've, we've been addressing this idea that Jesus says, no one has seen the Father but I've seen the father and Hebrews says that, that the father has been no, been made known by Christ in Hebrews one, um, two and three, that he's the 
essence and the radiance, his character came. If you've seen Christ, you've seen the most vivid picture of Father God that you 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 will see. Um, that is part of his purpose. And then, um, but but what Philip is asking out of those three questions that they ask, what Philip is asking is he's saying. Lord, show us the Father. He still had, out of all that's been going on, he still had a little bit of anxiousness, a little bit of, I'm not certain, I'm not sure. And he's he's clinging to, to wanting certainness. I mean, one of the things that they're upset about him saying, I'm going to go away and you can't come. And their anxiousness, their worriedness is not about the glory he's entering into and how that's going to affect the world, but that they're anxious because the certainty that they were kind of clinging to on Christ is kind of being loosened. And, and Philip is saying, Lord, just give us something. Just show us the Father. And <clears throat> And, and and he's speaking to there, and I, I didn't put that text up, but if you go look, I think it's about, about 1624 or something, but he stopped speaking in mysterious language. He stopped speaking in parables, and he says, I've come from the Father. I'm going back to him. And, and, and he's been saying that all along, just in a way that was a little bit mysterious to keep people a little bit you know, off, off, off their, off their game or off the on, on edge. And, and that's what Philip said. It's like, look, before you leave, just take, I don't want to be on edge. I, w- I want you to just, just say it plainly for me, because I know if, if you, if you say it, it's true. Quit, quit beating around the bush is, is, is sort of what he's saying. Um, so I just wanted you to know, know that's there. And then I think the last little thing that I just want to touch on is in verse 57, He's speaking to the source of life. It's the text says, as the living father sent me, I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. I didn't write it down in my notes. I, 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 I ran out of time, you know, with, with all that was going on this week, but I believe it's in the middle part of, of five, you know, he, he had, um, the first part of five, he he, the guy that was lame for 38 years, he healed him and he healed him on a Sabbath, and he's getting all this pushback from there. And they're like, they're kind of asking him, why did you do this on the Sabbath? And even to some degree, how did you do it? And as he's explaining that, he's saying that just as I work as my father does, and just as the father has life in him and he can give life to whoever he pleases, so can, you know, the son of man. So this is speaking to this source. And so to big picture, to back up, what Jesus is doing in six, as we walk through these three things, is he sharing the gospel with them. He's, he's saying, look, guys, I know you've had all this tradition. I know you've had all these thoughts, all these festivals, but it's time for you to understand what that means. And, 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 and with Jesus coming in incarnation and coming and being the lamb of God, this is a, a, his, this is going to change all of time. And a year from now, all of time is, is changing by the, by Christ coming um, because we're no longer just going to have the, the foreshadowing and the, and the promises we're actually going to step in to the fulfillment. The veil's going to be torn from top to the bottom. The dividing wall is going to be removed in Christ, and it's it's the new covenant. The greater covenant is going to be established 
by the sacrificial lamb of God and that takes away the, you know, the sins of the world. So um, I think that's mostly what I have. And, you know, just in 58, he comes back to that same statement, um, the bread that came down from heaven. And, and it's, it's basically what I said that he's, um, it's the new fulfillment of the bread. They were going back and forth previously about Moses. <laughs> Moses gave us the sign of bread in the wilderness. What sign will you give? And, and we've talked about that. You're thinking he, he could have said, come on, you knotheads. What do you think we did yesterday evening? You know, short memories that they had. But he begins to say, it wasn't Moses that gave them that bread, but my father gave them that, that bread through Moses. And um, so anyway, you just see that connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, so I'll shut up with that. Um, I'll turn it over to you guys. We got about 10 minutes here. What what are y'all y'all's thoughts? Any questions or corrections or insightful thoughts? Silence. <laughs> Somebody's got some. Let's finish out with y'all's comments. What you think, okay. Shane? You know what? What do we? Why do we eat? Why do we drink for our physical life? If we don't eat from the Bible every day, and by drinking, absorb it into our hearts, <laughs> we're not going to be. Able, we're not going to feel as confident about our life after this life is gone. Our second life. And uh, so, in, you know, even though we think we got it all straight, we still need to consume the daily bread of his word. And see what you're saying and what Shane was talking about, about Biden, or, uh, a Biden, not Biden, the president, but but a Biden. Um, and, and the two, what you're saying is, is like I've thought about it in the past, like if I don't eat in a day or two days, I, I'm hangry. I'm, I'm, I'm very upset. I can't function. And like in our, and that's my physical life, but in our spiritual life, when we skip, you know, the Bible, like I, I literally try to read the Bible three times a day, like just, just snack on it, you know, and, and I find that is a real helpful thing, you know, to yeah. my spiritual life. Um, and it just keeps me centered, keeps me focused on the main thing. And, uh, but, but if we neglect, if, if the only time we read our Bibles, when the pastor tells us to go look at a verse on Sunday morning, how how spiritually strong can we be? You know, we're dry bones if we we're living out like that. Dry bones. <laughs> hey, Dennis, on on the other end of that analogy, have you ever been so full and so stuffed that you uh, you just didn't desire bread, or even that if bread was put in front of you, you would almost be repulsed by it because you're just so stuffed and full. And um, you know, the, the world is, is consuming a different type of bread. It's the bread that perishes and they can, you know, they can get so full on things um, that they feel is fulfilling their life. That's giving them life and in, in their regards that whenever the true bread is offered to them, they don't want it and they're repulsed by it and they, they don't find the need for it. And so I, I you know, that, that analogy, it seems like it can, it can almost work two ways, you know, for the Christian, it, we're starving and we need it. And in many cases, we're not getting enough of it, yeah. but the world just is repulsed by it. That's well, no, we, can, we can overeat like the, uh, the people that were told to eat only one, one day's harvest, only one day's uh, 
feeding of bread, of manna, we can overeat, we can feel stuffed, and we can feel overwhelmed by what we're reading, or we could just take a daily dose of the bread. But then if we take a good daily dose, then tomorrow we need another daily dose. Mm-hmm. And we're not overstuffing, we're not overwhelming our stuff. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I also felt uh, too in God's sovereignty that you landed on this passage this morning, just one week before Christmas. I know we're not meeting next week, but uh, it, you know the the speaking of the incarnation here, the the true bread that came down from heaven. Um, you know that's that's alluding to the the incarnation. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of neat to find that here in chapter six. Yeah. What do you think, Mike? You've been quiet this morning. You got any thoughts? Not too much, Dennis. Uh, I think you did a good job of, you know, marrying it back to the Passover and Exodus. And I'm not sure a lot of people do a good job with that, you know, explaining that because, you know, most people, you say something like this and their reaction would be the same or similar to the disciples that were there that said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? You know, when you're talking about eating the flesh and drinking the blood of someone that, that, um, that's, I mean, just to be frank, that's pretty gross, you know, um, yet Jesus was, you know, marrying the old covenant to the new covenant and, uh, and, and making a way for us. Now, now we'll say that I think some people get this wrong. Some denominations get this wrong. You, you take the, the Catholic church that, um, believes in, I think they call it transubstantiation, which is where where they actually believe the priest has the power to make the bread and the wine become the flesh and blood of Jesus at that very moment, you know, and you talk about, you know, I'll just say a screwed up doctrine. Uh, I think, you know, they've missed it, in in my opinion. Um, But, you know, symbolically of, you know, driving them back to, to that first Passover and, and something that the Jews would have been very familiar with, something they did year after year with very strict rules um, of actually taking them to the that that Passover lamb, that unblemished lamb. And um, you know, John the Baptist said, and that's that's one thing I absolutely love is when he saw Jesus coming, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Um, you know, anytime I, I hear of Jesus as the Lamb, there's just something in in me and and maybe part of that is coming from the catholic background because there was a lot of emphasis on the lamb of god but whenever i hear it and whether it's in songs or just in text uh, there's something for me that's been really special that he is the lamb of god you know the unblemished lamb that was the fulfillment so to jeff's point that's what we celebrate now right i mean he came um even if you're a, even if you're a C and E Christian, Christmas and Easter, you know, I mean, you still get it, right? I mean that um, the fulfillment of those two great events, the the, the incarnation and the um, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I mean, that's that's it right there. Well, um, they gonna come get me in just a second, but Keith, you got any final thoughts? Oh, that's uh. I just think of the discipline, you know, used, you know, going back to the the blood on the post and so forth. And 
I'm sorry, I, I can't articulate this the way I'm thinking it, but you know, the discipline of what we have with what's provided, the Lord Jesus gives us what's provided. And uh, to, to just rest on that itself, uh, um, I'll, I'll leave it with that. I'm trying to articulate something I want to say, but it, it's just uh, re reciting in him and him alone. Oh, Shane, won't you uh, close us in prayer? Like I said, they they we fishing run off the church, so I, I can't quite stay a little. But um, thank y'all this morning. Um, we'll be out next week, but I'll shoot you some text to um, kind of think about some things, and um, we'll we'll, we'll get back as soon as we can. Be careful down there, Father God. Thank you for allowing us to gather in different parts of this uh, this great nation that you've created, Lord. Um, Father, we just give you thanks for providing that true food, uh, that, that, that true drink that your word provides and what Dennis delivered. Lord, I pray that uh, we can live this and not just get um, there, there's so much distraction and so much, uh, I guess, um, uh, non-true food, Lord, that I pray we feast on your word. And, uh, and, and that brings us the closest to you. Father, let us go into this, out to this day, uh, like Dennis was talking about, being that, that, um, that gap bridger between people that are broken and just see one side. Uh, let's bring us together, unite in you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. We'll be praying for your, your brother, Shane. And then I know we all have people like that. Chris, hard time for people. So let's keep them in our prayers. Thank you. Yeah. Right, See y'all next. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas.